Hello, everyone, and welcome to, st- uh, to Nicholas's Podcasting Jar Presents Secondary Commentary, One Clone's Journey to Discover What Makes a Good Movie Commentary. I'm your host, Nick, uh, not Nick, sorry, Ben Margellos, or no, shh, fuck, Ben Converse. Uh, each week I dive into one or more commentary tracks, I listen to them, I break them down, and I dissect them. And I try to figure out what I like about each one, in hopes that one day I can discover what makes a truly good movie commentary. Um, on this episode, I want to I want to spice it up a little bit again. You know, I, I had a lot of fun last week. We we did a, an episode about um, TV commentary tracks, so I thought it'd be fun to do a, a video game commentary track on this episode. Um. Uh, I, well, here's the deal. Um, the the video game that I decided to play for us today, the commentary track that I decided to play for us today that involves the game, um, is from the game Portal, uh, which if you've if you've never played, is a, a fun game. Uh, you play as um, a, 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 a character named Shell who has to solve puzzles from this artificial intelligence named GLaDOS and um, and it's it's fun you create different portals at different walls and stuff uh, if you've never played it it's a lot of fun and I recommend that you do play it there's also a, a second game that's also equally fun uh, and that you can even play uh, multiplayer with which is uh, a lot of excitement that I recommend to you um, yeah um, I'll be honest with you guys right now. Let's, let's get a little honest with each other. Um, I, uh, I'm a little drunk tonight. Uh, it's my, it's our birthday week. The episode this is coming out and I, and I, uh, it's just like, why, why? I, I don't know. It feels weird to be spending this birthday all by myself. Is all. Um. I feel like I de- I deserve more. You know. Um. I don't know. Sorry. I'm not trying to get um. I'm not trying to get uh, too emotional with you here. I just want I wanted to be honest about where I'm coming from on today's episode. That's partly why I think today's episode is going to be a shorter episode. Um, despite me talking for so long right now, you're just like, hey, let me hear the commentary track. I just want to hear it already, and and we can discuss it, because no one likes to hear me talk, right? No one even freaking likes me. Um, um, that sucks. That sucks to listen to. I'm sorry. Um, um, but I, I know that Nick is going to hear this, and you know what? Guess how you're making me feel, dude. Guess how you're making me feel right now. This, this way. So, um, let's listen to the 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 Portal Two, the not Portal Two, Portal One documentary uh, commentary, not documentary either. Um, and and let's kind of, uh, you know, I I, I had, like I said, I had fun talking. And I feel like I discovered more about what makes a good commentary by listening to the TV commentary stuff. 
And so I'm, I'm curious if we will learn anything by listening to a video game commentary. So I, I, I implore you to join me on this uh, journey. Let's, uh, let's get into it. To listen to a commentary node, put your crosshair over the floating commentary symbol and press your use key. To stop a commentary node, put your crosshair over the rotating node and press the use key again. This is a uh, game nodes may take new the game in order to show currently. something to you. In these cases, simply press your use key again to stop the commentary. Please let me know what you think after you've had a chance to play, as we think we are just at the beginning of taking advantage of this type of gameplay. I can be reached at gaben at valvesoftware.com. Thanks and have fun. Gabe Newell is the president of Valve that created Portal, just so you guys know. It's absolutely critical that players quickly wrap their heads around what a portal is. We noticed early playtesters grasped the concept much more quickly when they caught a glimpse of themselves through a portal. So we deliberately positioned this first portal to ensure that players will invariably Hello see themselves. Again. That's uh, One of the Kim things we Newell. learned from our Bacular Drop, our Steam Swift, project that became Portal, was that players often thought portals took them into other spaces, or even other dimensions. To help fight that notion, we start players in a visually unique room with memorable objects, so that when they walk through a portal for the first time, they have a clear point of reference which communicates the idea that they're still in the same basic location. For instance, the radio, which is playing an instrumental version of Still Alive, helps as well by providing some audio continuity. Yeah, this is a, a genius move. These frosted glass observation rooms make the player feel as if they're being watched at all times, while keeping the identity of these watchers a mystery. The rooms serve a practical purpose as well, since we often use them as convenient and logical light sources for the test chambers. That's a round Portal is effectively an extended player training exercise. We spend a huge portion of the game introducing a series of gameplay tools, then layering those tools into increasingly difficult puzzles. This layering starts here, where we train the button and box mechanic, before introducing the more complicated concept of portals. We wanted players to feel safe while standing in a portal, so we never kill them or destroy objects within a portal that's closing. Instead, we either push or teleport objects out of a portal as it closes. We very deliberately introduce and train each gameplay concept in Portal, so that once players reach this spot, we're confident that they know what a portal is and roughly how it works. Early versions of the game let players stumble through the beginning, without always understanding what was going on, which really compromised teaching new concepts. The puzzle you just finished was designed so that stumbling around will almost always lead to a dead end. Completing the puzzle requires walking through a minimum of five portals in a specific order. This kind of gating, in which a solid understanding of key gameplay concept is required for success, helps standardize the learning curve of the game tremendously. Okay, um, so what I want to mention here, in case you guys don't understand what's happening, is... Um, so these commentary tracks exist within the game. So you can play the game, and then once you complete the game, you uh, there's like little dots that will you can play replay the game and then there's little new dots that will pop up these little dots with like um uh, like a speech bubble around them and you can click on those things and that uh plays these different commentary tracks at different parts of the game during different puzzles of the game 
Um, and uh, yeah, we're hearing from a lot of the creators and um, uh, designers. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if we'll get to hear from any of the writers of of of, of the of you know the game. Um, I doubt we'll get to hear anything from Jonathan Coltrane, uh, Colton, uh, who um, we uh, they, they spoke about his song "Still Alive." That was the beginning song that you heard there. That's just, I wanted to just fill you in on that, um, and we'll we'll get back to listening to the, the commentary track now. So um, here we go, I guess. In early versions of this map. Playtesters would charge down the stairs without noticing what was creating the portal. We introduced a mandatory pause in the action, what we call a gate, to help ensure that players stop and notice the portal gun making the blue portal. The particle effect and a loud noise helped draw their attention. For sure. Please proceed to the chamber lock. This room was designed to make players understand that entrance and exit portals aren't tied to the color of the portal. Playtesters often assumed that orange portals were exit only, so we created this puzzle oh. to force players to enter an orange portal. Interesting. When rendering the player's view through a portal, we must render a separate image using a virtual camera which looks out of the opposite portal. To obtain a correct image and efficient rendering performance, we render only what is visible through the limited field of view of the opposite portal and exclude objects which lie between the virtual camera and the plane of the opposite portal. Jesus. Exhausting. Well done. Remember, the aperture science for your is the perfect time to have her tested. The combination of portal-destroying fields, which we call fizzlers, and the elevators serve a dual purpose. They provide a clearly identifiable endpoint for each test chamber, while also addressing the more practical problem of how to keep players from portaling across level loads. We eventually integrated the fizzlers into several of our puzzle designs. For training purposes, there's generally just one correct solution to these early puzzles. The original version of this room didn't have the glass barrier. Playtesters would often stand on the button to open the door and then shoot a blue portal through the opening, bypassing the box entirely. Since this puzzle was meant to illustrate the relationship between boxes and buttons, that solution, while clever, was a failure. So we added the glass barrier to prevent it. Later in the game, however, the puzzles become more open-ended. Integrating portals with Source Engine's physics system was a complex process that required several iterations to achieve the right balance of performance and correctness. Because portals can be placed virtually anywhere in the game's environment, the physics system had to be modified to allow dynamic changes to its representation of colliding geometry, such as the walls and floor around this box, and any objects which may lie on the opposite side of the portal. Initial implementations of this dynamic collision generation system could take up to one half of one second, or 500 milliseconds, to compute the correct collision. This may not sound like a long time in everyday life, but this pause during the portal creation was quite noticeable in the context of a game. Ultimately, we designed a system that creates temporary hybrid physics environments in bubbles around the portals, using less accurate collision than that produced by Source's standard collision generation, but was accurate enough in practice and reduced the time to create dynamic collision representation from 500 milliseconds to just 10 milliseconds, which is an imperceptible pause during portal creation. Early versions of Portal featured more detailed, cluttered environments, much like Half-Life 2. We quickly realized that unnecessary objects scattered all over the place distracted players to the point where it actually interfered with the Portal training process. So we simplified the art style to favor clean, focused test chambers. The modular approach we settled on makes it look plausible that the chambers can reform dynamically on these pistons. 
To make puzzles deeper than just teleporting to the exit, we had to include surfaces that won't hold a portal, which are formally introduced here. Yeah. We experimented with several surface designs before we settled on this one. This is the part where Sophie gets confused. She doesn't understand the difference between where you can and cannot put a portal, but it makes sense to everyone else. Originally, these scaffolds ran on electrified tracks, but crafty playtesters would hop along the rails to the exit, bypassing the puzzle entirely. We tried to solve this by killing players as soon as they touched the rails. That solution ended up being too much of an overcorrection as even skilled playtesters were getting frustrated by these one-hit kills in the more complex puzzles later in the game. Making the scaffolds run along immaterial beams of light solved both problems. Even though layering player training was a design goal from the start, we still ended up introducing some concepts too quickly. For instance, this used to be the first energy ball redirection puzzle. Playtesting revealed that this puzzle introduced too many new concepts at once, which ended up frustrating a lot of playtesters. In response, we inserted two test chambers before this one to make the energy ball redirection training more gradual. We previously talked about how we handle static portal collision, but collision with moving objects on the other side of a portal is a completely different and equally hard problem. Walking onto this scaffold was a very iffy proposition for the first few months of development. We solved the problem of colliding with these dynamic objects by cloning the objects from one portal to the other and strictly controlling what objects are allowed to collide with each other and how they're allowed to collide. Because our test chamber environments were simplified for training purposes, we created visual hotspots within the rooms to guide players' attention. The design is essentially a balance between round objects and sharp objects. The sharp objects representing background elements and the round objects, such as doors and movable props, comprising our points of visual interest. For the first few months of development, we rendered the views through portals to two off-screen textures. This approach was easy to implement and was compatible with a wide range of graphics hardware. Unfortunately, this method was incompatible with anti-aliasing and consumed a large amount of video memory in order to handle recursive views through several portals. Because of these disadvantages, we switched to a system which renders portal views recursively into the frame buffer with the aid of the stencil buffer to isolate pixels corresponding to a given portal. This is a more effective scheme because it is compatible with anti-aliasing and does not consume any additional video memory for off-screen textures. Um, is this at all entertaining to anyone? Um, I am realizing as I am creating this episode that uh, a lot of this commentary track kind of does need to be... <sighs> okay, here's the difference between, I think, movie commentary tracks and video game commentary tracks is that a movie commentary track, you... <sighs> I don't know, man. It, I think all of them, you need to be watching it while you are playing or, or, you know, listening to it or whatever. You know what I mean? You need to be listening to it while you play or listening to it while you watch. But, um, I don't know. I have always felt that commentary tracks for movies, at least, you could listen to outside of watching it because and that's kind of part of why i created this podcast was that i was like there's so many fun essentially like the commentary track is the original podcast you know what i mean it's it, there's so many unreleased podcasts 
that um, I, I wanted to bring to people's attention. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of why I created this podcast, or at least wanted to create this podcast before somebody fucking posted my shit online. Uh, like an absolute fucking piece of shit that he is. Um, like, I, I say these things knowing that I'm sorry. I don't mean to say them. You know what I mean? But I just... <sighs> this is where I... T- I mean, this is where I'm honest. You know what I mean? This is my therapy. You know what I mean? I can't afford actual therapy um, because that shit is expensive. And who... I mean, like, who can afford that, honestly? Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this is maybe the first episode I'm just going to bail on. First episode ever, uh, go ahead, blame the clone. He, he doesn't want to do this anymore. He, you know, it's just, it's my birthday week and I'm alone and uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it works. I don't think that doing the video game commentary works because um, all you're doing is, is listening to people talk about specific puzzles. And I think that if, if you like Portal, I, I would encourage you to listen to this commentary track um, because there are some interesting stuff. Um, and, and, I, and I love this game. I think it's one of, I don't know, maybe the greatest puzzle games of all time. Is that too much to say? But it's true. I mean, I, you know, I, well, I, yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe let's skip to the end and the, and we'll see. And we'll see if there's any interesting stuff at the end. To test out their newly trained rocket redirecting and glass breaking skills in a slightly different context, which helps cement the training. This massive turret ambush was originally a lot more massive, with turrets that dropped from the ceiling and popped out of surprise hatches. In fact, for a while, it was the game's climactic battle. Through playtesting, we learned that this type of pure combat experience didn't really fit with the preceding few hours of player training. Yeah. Over several iterations, we toned down the combat and made the room more about using portal momentum to fling yourself great distances, yeah. a skill that playtesters really enjoyed using, and that's a key component of what eventually became our final battle. Interesting. Originally, these catwalks were decorative, but playtesters consistently thought they were significant and often spent a lot of time trying to reach them. We didn't want to stand between people and their desire to walk on the catwalks. So we redesigned the area to make catwalks not only accessible, but also necessary to proceed. So when they told me that there was going to be oh. a song at the end, this I thought, This is the voice of Gladys. Well, all right, who's going to write the song? And they told me there was going to be a song written by Jonathan Colton. And I listened to a song that Jonathan had written, and it, and it was very funny, very clever. So I thought at that point, well, you know, this will be okay. But I am an opera singer, so usually I sing, And I thought, well, will I be able to have the right style for the song? So I was concerned. But then before the recording, um, they sent me an MP3 file of the song, and I listened to it with Jonathan singing it, but I loved the little song. 
And uh, at home, as I practiced a little song, I tried to, you know, get back to GLaDOS's voice. You know, aperture science. Just this tiny little passive-aggressive computer who's all alone until people try to come in and murder her. So, of course, she gets upset. But she she seems to have this real affinity for Kate. And, and I want to play the game because I want to recreate the cake recipe and then put portal on it and be able to serve it to my friends when they come over to my house. GLaDOS, the rogue disk operating system that now runs Aperture Science, went through a bunch of design iterations. Earlier versions included a floating brain and a sprawling spidery mechanism. All right, who cares about this guy? It was nice hearing from GLaDOS for a second there, but I don't care what freaking Jeremy Bennett has to say. This is silly. successfully conveys both GLaDOS's raw power and her femininity. Can't even understand behind this red phone is that while GLaDOS was being developed, it was somebody's job to sit by it. And if it ever looked like the AI was becoming sentient and godlike, that person would pick up the phone and call somebody to come help. In the point in time where the actual game takes place, it's become obvious that the Aperture Science red phone plan didn't 100% work out. Is that the end? Oh. What the heck? What is this? Oh. Our character is on the surface. What was that? Did you say something? I sincerely hope you weren't expecting a response. I've never because seen I'm not this talking before. to you. The talking is over. Is this some sort of glitch? Our character is just walking around on the outside. In a parking lot with a destroyed GLaDOS. Oh, yeah, this has got to be some sort of glitch. Interesting, though. I don't know why it's included in this commentary track. person that's shot this video is now showing us the the cake the cake was actually real all this time supposedly I mean who knows if you actually get to enjoy that cake but anyway um, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Nicholas's podcasting jar presents secondary commentary uh one clone's journey to discover everything there is to discover about commentary tracks i'm sorry that it was short i'm sorry that it was boring i'm sorry that it was bad um yeah i you know i i I thought that the doing a video game would be fun after doing the fun that i did with uh the the secondary commentary uh track but um you know uh, what, what did I just say? The, doing the fun with the TV commentary uh, last episode. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, I, I've hoped, I hope that uh, you'll, you'll stop listening to this podcast. Just stop. There's no reason to listen to it. Um, you know, 
Nick decided that he was going to play a bunch of stuff that his clone did. But here's the thing with clones is that they're not the same people. You can, uh, you can have the exact same DNA and some of the exact same life experiences, but as soon as your life goes on a different course, even the smallest little thing can, 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 can sort of take you on a whole different course of life, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just like... So, you know, I feel like so many people put... So many people put people in... In 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 um in sort of, you know, uh, categories, stereotypes, you know. They put them in these certain boxes that they're like, well, they did this which means that they have to have this sort of a lifestyle or they must have this sort of a life. And it's like, no, um, everyone is, is, is different. And I think that, I think that that's the most important thing to, to realize is that no matter what you think you understand about people and it's beautiful, it's beautiful to try to understand where people are coming from. Don't get me wrong. Like you trying to understand where people are coming from, is a wonderful thing and I applaud you for doing it and keep doing it. I'm not trying to dissuade you from doing that. Um, it's just that um, I, there are so many times that people who assume things are wrong, you know? Um, sorry, I needed to take a little sip there. Um, take another little sip of my Miller Light. This episode is sponsored by Miller Light. Uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm growing on Miller Light. I like Miller Light. Fuck that craft thing. The whole craft shit that I used to be into, being into craft beers and stuff. Fuck that. You know, like I said, people change, man. People change. You can't judge people on what you think that you know about them. And I'm fucking sick of people judging me for what they think they know I'm going to do. Because I guarantee you what I'm going to do next will not be expected. Okay? And you can take that check to the bank, bitch. Yep. That's right. That's right. Um, anyway, this has been, uh, Nicholas's podcasting jar presents secondary commentary, um, up, uh, a podcast hosted by me, Ben Converse, a clone version of Nicholas Margellos. Um, and, um, I'm sorry. And, uh, guess what? The, the season will be ending soon. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do, uh, I'll do one more. We'll we'll do one more and then we're done. I'm I'm not gonna this. And the next episode is gonna be something that uh, you won't expect. Let's say that the next season will be something that you won't see coming because if you think that you can understand everything that I'm going through, you're about to be surprised. Okay, you're about to be surprised because 
don't fucking expect don't 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 fucking you know just like know what someone's all about okay